And I hope you know him today. I hope you know him today at home. I hope you've trusted Christ as your Savior. I want to pause just a moment repeat a bit of what Pastor Mike said earlier about the D4 Pathway groups because they are about discipling one another and being discipled. It's fundamental to a biblical Christian faith that you are in a discipling relationship and you grow as disciples together. Pastor Mike alluded to this. As we've seen in this message series, Jesus had crowds that would follow him. Some of those crowds claimed to be disciples. Uh, we would liken that to congregations today. We have large congregations, and many of those in the congregation claim to be followers of Christ. But then you can draw the net just a bit tighter, and you find those that are more fully devoted to Christ. And the 12 apostles of Jesus, uh, he called out of the crowd to follow him. And, and day by day, they lived their lives in devotion to Christ. But even among those 12 apostles, he had even a closer-knit group of three friends and followers. Peter, James, and John were his inner circle. And they would come uh, with him to situations the other 12 were not involved in or didn't participate in. And they would write about that later. John, Peter, James all wrote about those moments when they were with Jesus personally and intimately. And they experienced things that the other uh, ones of the 12 did not experience. And certainly the larger crowd didn't experience. The point is that even Jesus followed that pattern to collect close to him those who would grow in their discipleship and, and walk closer with Christ. And the D4 Pathway group uh, seeks to emulate that. Uh, Paul did it with Timothy and with others, and we want to help you be a part of that kind of relationship. And that's what it is it's relational, it's not a class, it's being in a relationship with one another and growing in your faith and walking with Christ together. We return this morning to John chapter 6 and wrap up our message series, Who is this man clearing up confusion about Jesus? So if you have your Bible, go there with me, John chapter 6. Uh, while you're turning there, let me mention one thing. In the next two months, especially in the month of May, end of April, month of May, uh, I'm going to be, I am planning our strategy for more regathering and getting us back on uh, a pace with what we need to be doing as a church family here on site. I want to put this out there right now. If you are a Sunday school leader or teacher, you're going to be getting an email from me. So look for that this week. You should be getting an email from me this week. We're going to meet together, just me, the Sunday school leadership. We're going to meet together in early May so I can share with you my strategy for moving our Bible study classes back in and get your input, your questions for that. Pray for us as we look forward to summer and anticipate great things ahead as we move in. John chapter 6, you'll recall in this series, it started with Jesus feeding 5,000 men and their families uh, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee from where the rest of the action has taken place. The next morning after he uh, fed the 5,000 men and their families miraculously with loaves and fish, the next morning, the crowd got up and couldn't find him. And they were so excited because Jesus had done this miraculous thing and taken care of their physical needs that they gathered up and they followed him to the other side of the shore of, sea, of the Sea of Galilee where he and his apostles had gone during the night. And the, the core of the chapter, as we have read it, is where Jesus has been in a winding conversation with this crowd who have followed him there. And along with them are some religious leaders. Uh, in the text, when you read 
the Jews, it usually means the Jewish leaders, were asking questions on behalf of the crowd, but also the crowd was interacting and asking these questions. And through the flow of the passage, uh, they have been learning more and more about who Jesus is, but exposing their own confusion also over who this man is. Last week we saw that Jesus' hard teaching about who he was, who he really was, and that he must be trusted, Christ and Christ alone must be trusted for eternal life. The crowd took that as a hard teaching. That, that was difficult for them. And the phrase we read, as we read it means that it was offensive to them. So a large number of them turned around and left that day. Walked away from Jesus. Even though they had claimed to be disciples, they turned around and they walked away and departed, abandoned Jesus Christ. We're going to pick up there in the story, John chapter 6, verse 66. I know, 666, it's just there. I didn't make that up, but it's John chapter 6, verse 66. We're going to pick up there and begin reading at what happens next. John chapter 6, verse 66. The Bible says, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. And we learned last week that is very much disciple language. The term accompany means walk alongside of someone. It's a learner-teacher relationship. So a a whole host of those who claimed they were going to follow Christ decided based on what he said and the hard teaching there. They were offended by that and they departed. Verse 67, so Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, meaning answering for all of them. He said, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus replied to them, didn't I choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He was referring to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, one of the twelve, because he was going to betray him. A large group of what we have called counterfeit disciples turned and departed. And Jesus lets them walk away. He lets them leave, and he turns to the twelve apostles. Now that that designation, the twelve, is carried throughout the Gospels and Scripture to always designate those twelve apostles that Christ called to follow him and with whom he would entrust his ministry after the crucifixion. All disciples are called to follow Christ, but these particular twelve were his closest and they would be entrusted to carry on his ministry and to teach other disciples also. So he gathers around them and he says this, you don't want to go too, do you? Now it's a rhetorical question framed in the negative, which means he expects the answer to be no. And he's correct. Speaking for all the disciples, all the apostles that are there, Peter chimes in. On behalf of all of them, he says, to whom would we go? The answer is no, because to whom would we go? Now, I want you to notice something right away. That's a relational answer. He doesn't say, where would we go, or to what religion would we go, or to what what other book would we read? He says, to whom would we go? They get it. Even this early in Jesus' ministry, they get that discipleship is relational. It's being with Jesus. It's not doing stuff. It's being with Jesus. And to whom would we go indicates that at a challenge point, at a a turning point, Peter and the other apostles are already under the conviction that Christ and Christ alone is the one they should follow. 
whenever your faith is challenged, it indicates if you are at that level of commitment. It indicates if you are an authentic follower of Christ, an authentic disciple. Because that turning point is where the counterfeit disciples depart and the authentic disciples say, no, I have made my decision. Where else, to whom else could I possibly go? No, I'll stay with Christ. I'll stay with Christ. When you've already made that decision, at such turning points, it fortifies your faith. It doesn't weaken it. It fortifies your faith because you know you've made that decision to follow Christ. It's not about being a churchgoer. It's not about serving on committees. It's not about being more religious. It's about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship that is so definitive and which rests on the grounding of such conviction that when the moment comes that you face even hard teachings of Jesus, when you face the crowds and the peer pressure to turn away, your response is, to whom else could I possibly go? I've made my decision. I follow Christ. I follow Christ. Last week we looked at the counterfeit disciples. This week we're going to see that Jesus affirms authentic disciples. And what it means to be an authentic disciple. You should ask and answer this question for yourself. And let God show you this morning. If you are an authentic disciple. If this is truly you that we're describing this morning. God will show you that. And you know this in your heart of hearts. But if you realize along the way that maybe I'm among the counterfeits and, and I'm just a churchgoer and I'm just a committee sitter and I'm just one that does what I want to do and it's not about a relationship with Christ, let God show you that too and change that today. Change that today as he calls you to do that. As we go through this passage this morning, you're going to notice some similarities to last week as we diagnosed how to recognize counterfeit disciples. This morning we'll consider how to recognize authentic disciples. And if you were here last week, if you listened in, if you watched it online, you'll notice some similarities. Well, the reason for that is the diagnostic method is pretty much the same. God brings us to a place where it reveals whether we have that conviction that we are authentic followers of Christ, but it also reveals if we are not and what we should do about it. So the diagnostic method is pretty much the same. Last summer, uh, I had a, a bout of vertigo that started ramping up just a bit. And I've had vertigo in the past, but this one was sticking with me. And then at the end of the summer, I was sitting in my study at home, working at home, and suddenly the hearing in my right ear radically changed. Just It's hard for me to describe, and if I start describing it, uh, well, it's kind of boring. But anyway, it just radically changed, trust me. Now, I knew for a while I'd had had some hearing loss. I could just tell that. Uh, but I'd never had anything quite like this happen. So I went to see my doctor, and he ran some tests. He put me on some medication and uh, uh, to no avail. But that was the point, to find out what it was not before I tried to find out what it was. So he sent me to an ENT, ear, nose, and throat specialist. I went to see the ENT. My first appointment with the ENT was December 14th. And on December 14th, the ENT ran about a 45-minute set of hearing tests. Now, I had presented with vertigo, but hearing loss as well, and some struggles with this new thing going on with my hearing in my right ear. And she ran a battery of tests, and, and, and after the test, she pulled me in, and she showed me on a chart what the results were and what her 
uh, tentative conclusion was. Now, I'm not going to get into that, but let me just say it was not good. But she said, we're going to bring you back in January, and we want to find out. We'll do the same test again. We want to find out. But in the meantime, and she gave me a list of stuff to do to mitigate the symptoms, especially the vertigo. Do these things, mitigate these symptoms. Uh, the top of the list of which is going to just change my church dinners forever. I'm on a low-sodium diet. I know. So when I don't eat your stuff at the church dinners in the days ahead, don't take offense. i got to eat a salad. Okay? So, but I had to mitigate these circumstances. So I did that on December 15th, the day after. Kim and I went radical on all those things. And I, I did, uh, I mean, folks, we're talking about minimizing my chocolate intake. Who does that? That's just not right. Minimizing, it hurts, my coffee. Pulling back on the caffeine. So there was a list of things. So I went through those things. I went back January 22nd. Now this is really what I'm leading up to. January 22nd, she did the exact same series of tests. Exactly the same. And then she pulls me in and says, huh, it's not what I thought it was. Praise God, that was a win. And the even better news is the, the uh, new strategy that I'm using to mitigate the symptoms is working. Right? Vertigo dissipating. Hearing's still weird, but hey. Sometimes the same test yields different results. And sometimes that's a good thing. The very test that shows you're a counterfeit disciple can be applied to an authentic disciple, and that's good. And the results are good. So that's what we're going to do this morning. If you were with us last week or you've watched that message online, you'll recognize we're applying the same diagnostic measures. Look at this with me. How do you recognize an authentic disciple? How do you know if you are an authentic disciple of Jesus Christ? How do you recognize an authentic disciple? First of all, authentic disciples accept what Jesus says. Authentic disciples accept what Jesus says. Have I read the text? Somebody, did I, have I read the text? I did read the text. Thank you. One of the symptoms is not memory loss. I promise. But it's a symptom of being 59 years old. An authentic disciple accepts what Jesus says. Here's what Peter did. Peter says, whom, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now bear in mind this whole host of counterfeit disciples has departed based on what Jesus said. They did not accept what Jesus said. They refused to accept what Jesus said because the hard teaching woven into this whole conversation was more than what they could handle. And the whole point of the hard teaching was that Christ and Christ alone is your Savior. You must digest Him, invest your life in Him, fully accept all that He says. And the crowd says, no, we're offended by that, and they depart. Peter says, where else could we go? You have the words of eternal life. The term translated words means all that you say. Jesus, even the hard teaching that we have just heard, that's not going to push us away. All that you say, even the hard words, 
what I like and what I don't like. It's God's truth. And, and I accept all of it because it's all from you. And I have a relationship with you. To whom could I possibly go? You have the right words. You have the truth. The words of eternal life come from Christ and Christ alone. Peter gets it. They all get it. All the words. Not just the part we like and what we don't like. See, we don't, we don't follow Christ just for the seven ways to improve our income. And we don't follow Christ just for teaching on uh, ten ways of building a better family or five ways to handle your anger problem. Those are all good things, but the fact of the matter is the Word of God in its entirety points to Jesus Christ and calls us out to this. He and He alone is the one who has the words of eternal life. And Peter, when Peter says this, he's acknowledging that the words of Christ are the Word of God. This is the Word of God. Preserved for us in Scripture, confronting Peter right there that day. This is the Word of God. This is God's truth. There are truths in philosophy. There are truths in academics. There are truths in education. There are truths in politics, believe it or not. There are truths in a host of books you can buy. But there are also falsehoods. There are also misunderstandings. There's also lies in all of those areas. In God, you have only truth. In Christ and in His words is only truth. And truth alone is what He teaches. Truth alone is what we find in the Word of God. And we find that in Christ and in Christ alone. You want to grow in your relationship with Christ? You grow in the Word of God as well. You grow in the Word of God as well. When we say, yes, I will follow Christ, it means I will listen to everything he says about me. Now, that's a tough one, isn't it? That's one of the reasons we avoid the Word of God, because, or, or we just stick with the things that make us feel good and the things that we like. Because sometimes we don't like what God says about us. But that's where real change begins. When we accept the hard truth, beginning with this, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I cannot change myself. I cannot save myself. I cannot get away from who I am as a sinner. I need God's forgiveness. I need God's truth. I need Jesus Christ and Christ alone to save me and cleanse me. He's the one that died on the cross for me. To accept that Christ died on the cross for you is to accept that you're a sinner. You're not good enough for heaven apart from Christ. That's the hardest truth that some people have to accept, but it's also the easiest thing to understand God is teaching you. It's the simplest truth of all. You need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. If you find yourself pushing away from the hard truth of Scripture, there are things the Bible teaches and you say, I just don't like that. I'll read the parts that I do like. There are things the pastor says, and you say, I don't like that. I'll go listen to somebody that I do like. If that's what you're doing, pay attention. An authentic disciple accepts all the words of the Word of God and applies them to their lives and lets God apply them to their lives. It's through the Word of God that God changes us, shows us who we are, shows us who Jesus is, and changes our lives in Christ. So first, authentic disciples accept what Jesus Says. Secondly, authentic disciples believe who Jesus is. Believe who Jesus is. That follows after accepting what Jesus says. Look at what Peter did. To whom shall we go? Who else 
possibly could have the words of eternal life. And he calls him Lord. And then he says, you are the Holy One of God. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. He says, Christ, we've been walking with you long enough that that we know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Now, we need to put this in the context of the situation at the moment to really grasp the magnitude of what Peter is saying. Remember, this is the first century. Peter is a Jewish man who's been raised in the synagogue all his life. He has been taught by the rabbis how to interpret the Old Testament scriptures. And the way the rabbis would teach was by quoting other rabbis. Not by directly quoting the Scripture of the Word of God. They would read it, then they would quote the other rabbis. Then Jesus comes along and Jesus starts telling them what God says about the Scriptures. Not what other rabbis say, but what God says about the Scriptures. And all his life he's been taught there is one God, and the Holy One of God is the one servant and Savior that God would send. One God, one Savior. He is identifying Jesus Christ as that one God and that one Savior. He doesn't have yet the full picture of it as we learn as the apostles approach the cross later, as the resurrection comes. That's when they really start to wake up to the full truth. But what Peter and the apostles already get is that Jesus Christ is God's Son sent into the world. You'll remember in this conversation, Jesus has emphasized over and over that the Father sent Him, that He has come from above, that one day He will return. There's no question that Christ believes He is God. And now Peter affirms it. Though his understanding isn't complete and full, he affirms, you are the Holy One of God. How did he reach that conclusion? Well, he tells us, we have come to believe and to know. The phrase, we have come to believe and to know, sets up a process. What he's basically saying is, we the twelve... Believed your words. We accepted your words. We started following you. The more we follow you, the more we believe that you say and believe who you are. And the more we believe, the more we have knowledge, the more that we know. Faith, knowledge. Faith, knowledge. That's how a disciple grows. It's a process of discipleship. And the longer they walk with Jesus, he says, the more we believe. And the more we believe, the more we know. And the more we know, the more we believe. And we have come to this conclusion today That you are who you say you are. You are the Most High God. Faith and knowledge intersect that way in your relationship with Christ. And it intersects that way in your walk with Christ, your discipleship. They go together. It begins with the day you understand, you have knowledge that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And you put all your faith and your trust in Christ. You believe what the Bible teaches and what Christ has said. That He and He alone can forgive you of your sins. That He and He alone died on the cross for your sins and God raised Him from the grave. You believe that because you know what the Bible teaches and what Christ has said. And on that day, you trust Christ. Your faith and your knowledge intersect and you trust Christ completely as your Savior. And then you begin this journey of discipleship, this pathway forward where faith and knowledge continue to intersect. The more you are with Christ, the more you want to be with Christ. The more you walk with Jesus, the more you want to walk with Jesus. Your faith and your knowledge continue to grow and you see Him work in your life more and more and more day by day. That is the walk. That is the discipleship of an authentic disciple of Jesus Christ. 
That's what's so exciting about following Christ. That's why that challenge point, that conviction to whom else shall we go, makes so much difference because along the pathway of your life, you'll grow in faith and knowledge. And occasionally those challenges will come. And each time they come, no, 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 I have learned more. I believe him more. I believe everything he said. To whom else could I possibly go? Why would I possibly turn away? I'm following Christ. I'm following Christ. The authentic disciple believes who Jesus is. He is the one and only Son of God. He is the one and only Savior. The only one. And as you walk with Christ, your faith and your knowledge intersect to validate more and more that that's true. More and more you get to know Him. More and more you invest yourself in your relationship with Him. And more and more you know God's Word and you apply that to your life and your faith and your knowledge grows. You believe Him and believe more of Him day by day. An authentic disciple accepts what Jesus says about themselves and about Him. So the authentic disciple then believes who Jesus is. This is what the Word of God says, who Christ is. This is who He says He is. He, without hesitation, He confirmed that He is God in human flesh come for you and for me. Then third, the authentic disciple receives what Jesus gives. Receives what Jesus gives. Peter put it succinctly, eternal life. To whom else should we possibly go? Could we possibly go? You have the words of eternal life. Not, this is such a great religion, we want to stay with you. Not, this is the first time, Jesus, I've ever learned how to serve on a committee. Not, Jesus, you helped me so, so much understand what church is really all about. Not, Jesus, I want to serve alongside you at the soup kitchen. Not that those things are bad. Not in themselves. But not, Jesus, I want to know the ten principles for being a better fisherman. That's why I'm with you. No. You see, none of that matters until you reach this conclusion. I need to receive what Jesus gives. And what he gives, and he alone can give, is eternal life. And once I accept what he says about me and about him, and once I believe who he actually is, I come to realize he and he alone has truth and eternal life. True life. Woven throughout this conversation is that same point. Time and again, Christ has been returning to this, that in God and in him is true life. Not in the world. Not in the flesh, he says, but in the spirit, meaning in trusting Christ as your Savior. Earlier, he told a man named Nicodemus the same thing. On a rooftop at night, John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to him. He said, what must I do? And he said, be born again. You can be a great teacher. You can be greatly religious. You can be a fine man. I could teach you all the principles you want to know about living a better life, but none of that matters until you trust Christ for eternal life and you are born again. You become a new person in Jesus Christ. You receive what He has to give. And what He has to give is new life, eternal life. Once Peter makes that declaration, suddenly Jesus at first appears to change the subject, but that's not what He's doing at all. Instead, he's putting a fine point on the whole conversation. He says, didn't I choose you? 
the twelve. Meaning, to follow me. Didn't I call you to follow me? He's reminding Peter that God loves him. God initiated this conversation. God initiated his belief. God came after him. It was still up to Peter and the others to believe, to respond. But God came after him. And for a first century Jewish man, there's a little bit of nuance here that's helpful too. When he said, didn't I choose you, the twelve? He was alluding to when God chose the twelve tribes of Israel. That God is faithful and he's saying to Peter and the other twelve apostles, I have chosen you to follow me. You're not like the others that have turned away. I recognize in you, you are authentic disciples. He is affirming and confirming their authentic disciples and followers of Christ. Except one. Except one. He says, but one of you is a devil. He didn't say one of you is the devil. He said one of you is a devil. One of you is evil in your very nature. One of you is a counterfeit disciple. You just decided to stay. And one of you will have your true nature exposed down the road, which is why John gives us the editorial comment. Looking back when he wrote this from everything that had happened, he said very helpfully, by the way, Jesus was talking about Judas Iscariot. Because even still, mixed among the authentic disciples, there can be a counterfeit. And that counterfeit has a way of looking good on the outside. But ultimately, it'll be revealed. Earlier in the conversation, Jesus had already brought up Judas Iscariot. Again, John gives us a helpful editorial comment. In the conversation... He said, some of you go after the flesh. You don't have life of the Spirit. You go after the things of the world. You go after the things of the physical nature. And that's exactly what Judas did. That was his problem. He wanted Jesus to be a Jesus of power. He wanted money. He wanted fame. And when Jesus didn't come through, Judas turned him in to be crucified. But even at this stage, Jesus knows there's a counterfeit. Among the twelve. No matter how much we try to deny who we are, no matter how much we try to hide the fact that, that we haven't really changed, that it's all about outward appearances, that it's all about going to church or being a good person. To us, that's what it's about. So the rest of the time, everybody thinks we're, we're churchgoers and, and we look good, but the rest of the time, nothing's changed. No matter how much... We think we're getting by with it. God still knows our hearts. God still knows who we are. If God has pointed out to you in this series that you're a counterfeit disciple, you're pretending to follow Christ, you can surrender to Him today. Be saved and start over. If God has pointed out to you that you're an authentic disciple, that's good news. The diagnostic analysis has revealed your heart and your desire to follow Christ. But maybe you just need to start over with Him. Maybe it's a time in your life when you realize, you know, I have not been following Him as an authentic believer would. I've not been growing and growing in faith and in knowledge. And it could be today you're listening to this message and you realize for the very first time, that in your heart of hearts, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You've never really trusted Him 
you don't have eternal life in Christ. Maybe you're religious, maybe you're not. Maybe you're at home this morning and you just happen to turn this on. But you realize today, of all days, you realize I've got to do something different. And I realize who Jesus is. And what he says about me is absolutely true. I'm, I'm not an investor in Bitcoin. I don't know if any of you are. If you are, God bless you, I guess. But Bitcoin is really popular, and it's growing. If you know anything about the stock market, evidently, there's money in investing in Bitcoin. Again, not my thing. And here's one of the reasons it's not my thing, besides the fact I don't understand it. But here's one of the reasons it's not my thing. My thing. This past January, uh, an article was published that interviewed a man named Stefan Thomas. Now, Mr. Thomas is, uh, works in technology, a software programmer, living in San, San Francisco. No lightweight when it comes to technology or digital or understanding digital things. And Mr. Thomas has invested in Bitcoin. Now, evidently, when you invest in Bitcoin, your digital currency is held in a lockbox, a hard drive, and you have a pass key to that hard drive. You have a, a password, but they call it a pass key, to access your currency on the hard drive. And Mr. Thomas has that hard drive. The problem is... He has completely forgotten what his passkey is. He wrote it down on a piece of paper and lost that piece of paper. You get ten tries to get into your lockbox before it locks you out eternally. And he tried eight times. And with fear and trembling, was trying to figure out how to get in. How much does he have, you might ask? How much money is at stake in the Bitcoin, in, in the lockbox? How much? $220 million. And he does not know the password to access his lockbox. And he knows that if he tries two more times and fails, he'll be locked out forever. It's human nature, our old sinful self, tends to think of access to God as some kind of secret elitist password. That if God would just be pleased with me, then I'll be okay with Him. So I try going to church, and I try serving on a committee, and I try being a good person, at least not lying today. And I try doing this, and I try doing that, and with each try, I think maybe this is the secret to accessing eternal life. Maybe this is the secret to God being pleased with me. And if I mess up today, then I'll be good tomorrow. And maybe that's how God will let me in. It doesn't matter how many times you try. Nothing you or I do gives us access to eternal life. You know what does? Receiving what Jesus gives. Eternal life. Admit that what God says is true about you. Accept what he says about you. What does he say? He says that you and I and every person on planet earth is a sinner in need of a Savior. And we cannot save ourselves. There's not enough good stuff you can do to open up that lockbox and give you access to heaven. It just doesn't work that way. And you and I, we're not that good. We know we're not that good. We might be religious, but we're not that good. So the first thing is to accept what he says about you. The second thing is to believe 
who Jesus is. Believe the testimony of Scripture and your friends and beloved in Christ. Who Jesus is. He is God in human flesh. He came to earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for your sins, and God raised Him from the grave. As majestic and powerful and awesome and almighty as He is, He humbled Himself because He loves you that much. That's who He is. There is in no one else there is life. There is life only in Christ and in Christ alone. And only in Christ can you and I be saved and changed, cleansed and forgiven of our sins. Once you know that, you receive what He gives. By faith, you receive Jesus Christ into your life and He gives you eternal life. If you've never done that this morning, I want to offer you an opportunity to do that very thing, in-house and online. I'm going to pray with you this morning, a very simple prayer that acknowledges each of the things that that we've just talked about, acknowledges what he says about you, acknowledges your belief in what he's done for you. He died on the cross for you. He's alive today. Acknowledges that you receive him as your Savior today. And if you've never done that, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me in just a moment. I'm also going to pray for those of us who... This firms up our faith. This confirms that we're authentic disciples. We praise God for that. But God, help us to move forward in our walk with Christ. I want to pray for us believers as well. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes together. I'm going to pray for believers first. And then I'm going to pray for those of us who would say, yes, I want to trust Christ as my Savior today. Our Heavenly Father, God, we come thanking you for your grace. Thanking you for your goodness. Thanking you, God, for all that you've done for us in Christ. Thank you, God, for the hard words. The words that tell us the truth about ourselves. And this morning, Father, you've reminded us of who we are. Father, if there's just one among us that would say, I realize today I'm a counterfeit disciple. I I need to return to you. That God, instead of turning our backs on Jesus, we would come back to you. If if there are believers in here, God, this, this confirms that we're authentic disciples, Father. If that's what we've taken from this, God, at the same time, we might be weak in our faith. We might be distant in our walk with Christ. We want to come back in that authentic relationship. We want to come back and walk closely with Christ today. So, God, please help us to do that. I pray for all of us, God, that know that we're believers in Christ. Let this be a day of recommitment. Let this be a day day of reconfirming and refreshing our walk with Christ. So, Father, now I pray for those who have never trusted Christ as our Savior. Maybe they are counterfeit disciples, pretenders among the authentic disciples. And they know it. But God, maybe this is the first time they've ever been to church or or logged on to a church service. or Maybe they know for a fact that they've never trusted Christ. Today is the day they realize that's what I need to do. So Father, we pray this prayer together. It's just one here, one at home that would trust Christ as their Savior today. We pray this prayer in faith and I pray that they would pray along with me, God, and put all their faith in Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Your truth, your word tells me I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And I know that I can't save myself. There's not enough good things I can do to access eternal life. But Jesus, I believe. I believe who you say you are, that you are the Son of God. And I believe you died on the cross for me and you're alive today. And Jesus, I ask today that you would come into my heart and into my life. In faith, I receive life from you today. Forgive me of my sins. Give me eternal life today. 
and I, I turn my back on my old sinner self. I repent of my sins. And today, starting today, I walk in faith and knowledge. I walk with Jesus day by day. Heavenly Father, for each one of us, God, I pray that you would firm up our decisions today for those who trusted Christ for the very first time. For those that you called out, the counterfeit disciples that realized they need Christ today. They need to start over today. For those believers in Christ, Father, that you showed us that our walk is weak and we need to strengthen our walk with Christ. For all of us, God, for all of our decisions, I pray, Father, we would follow through with those decisions. We would ramp up our walk with Christ. We would follow through. If you believers would follow through with baptism, seasoned believers would follow through with discipleship and, and get deeper into your word, that all of us, God, today would settle with conviction that we follow Christ. We follow Christ. There is no one else that we would follow but Jesus Christ. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.